Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. We're starting a new series and um, I don't know if you can see this. It's perhaps the other blind or they're both down, but uh, maybe the lights could come down in the, in the building so that helps people see what's on the screen if that's possible. And we want to talk, I wanted to talk with you for a while about a subject that I think perhaps gets a little bit lost or a little bit forgotten um, as we journey with Jesus in this life. We seem to have three categories of people in the kingdom of God. There's the accidental tourist. And what I mean by that is somebody who stumbles across Jesus. It's not like they're out looking for him or have any great desire to find him, but somehow through life's experience, often through some kind of pain or difficulty, they start to go searching for answers and they come across him. So that's the accidental tourist Christian. Then we have the incidental Christian. The the Christian that lives their life in many, many ways, kind of hoping something will happen, meandering through, doing the best they can with what they've been given, but actually there's no great sense of vision for their life. They're hoping they come along to a meeting and God touches them, or somebody says something and God begins to do something for them. It's like almost, a, it's an incidental approach to spirituality. And then there's the third category of Christian, and they are what I would call the intentional Christian. Someone who's made up their mind that following Jesus is the best thing, and in fact, the biggest priority of their life. And you find that the reward for each of these people The blessing that each of these people experience is in direct comparison to their ability to pursue or not or accidentally or incidentally experience God. Now, I want to tell you that's not what God wants. What God wants from his people, from his church, is that all of us, all of us would be highly intentional in our pursuit of the life that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. Not waiting for a wind to blow from the west or someone to say something who's come to the church, but actually on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, we are seekers and intentional searchers for the realities of God. And if you look at the Bible, what you tend to find is this, that Jesus said that there's a life that's available to us. I don't know whether this is working or not working or. (laughs) And that life is the life that he has provided for us and um, it seems to be working now. (laughs) It's the anointing, the anointing on Becca's life means everything works in her hand. I'm giving her my paycheck at the end of this meeting with the hope for multiplication. What's happening now? Talk amongst yourselves, it hasn't bothered you so far. Are you working it? Don't work it for me, I work it for myself, okay? <laughs> Reach your hand out and pray for this thing, will you please? <sighs> the life that I'm talking about, that intentionality that's required, that desire and passion to serve, to follow, to seek, and to understand who Jesus is, actually is what it means for us to be a Christian. That's the normal Christian experience. 
And that separates us from the kind of people that have no vision for their lives. When you're living with that kind of intentionality, when you're pursuing that reality, you will find over and over again that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You will not have to travel too long on that journey to discover that the slightest little attempts that you make to pursue and to find him will be overwhelmingly rewarded by his sense of presence and his power and his revelation that he will give you. God wants to be found. He wants you to discover everything, everything that he has planned for you, everything he has purposed for you, but being accidental or incidental and not intentional will cause you to live a life that's less than full. And Jesus promised us in John 10, 10, this is the life I'm talking about. He said, I have come that you should have life. I wish I had a light lifesaver, that would be good. Why is it not working again? Life and life in all its fullness. It's, are you moving this or am I moving it? You don't know. Oh, not you again. <laughs> I want you to see the things on the screen. It took me hours to do it and you're going to suffer it or not. Okay. There's a Hebrew phrase that sums up the life I'm talking about, and it describes God to us in this way, Emmanuel. It's a name that's given to him from Hebrew, which basically means this, God with us. Pause for a moment and think about that. God here in our striving, in our working, in our breathing, in our grief, in our pain, in our celebration. God right at the center of our lives. God with us. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that actually is the intention of God. The intention of God in sending Jesus is that you would know, that you know that you know that you are not on your own. That you're not trying to work this out by yourself. You're not trying to muddle through or strive to get by. That the king who is full of abundance and blessing lives in you. Lives with you. That you in many, many ways become a dwelling place for God. A dwelling place for God to rest. And you see, whatever I understand or don't understand about God, it's important for me to understand that that's his intention. God's intention is that every part of my life would be filled with him. Now, I don't know how you feel about that because some of us like to think we're hiding things from God. You know, have you ever tried to come to church with your best face on and your best spirituality on? I mean, you've not had a great week, you've killed the cat, you've stabbed the husband, or is it the other way around? Whatever way around it was, and you turn up at church and you think if you sing louder, if you, you know, get a little bit gregarious in the way that you worship, that somehow God forgets what's happened. But I want to tell you, God sees you, he knows you, he knows exactly what you're thinking, he knows exactly what you're feeling, he knows exactly everything that's taken place in your life, and still... He wants to make your life his home. He wants to make you, your body, his temple. He wants you to be his dwelling place. It's phenomenal to think that God would have that kind of intent. 
You know, today, in your struggles and in your triumphs, God's intention for you was that you would become a resting place for him. That you would become a dwelling place for him. And I don't know about you, but I find myself over and over again fighting this reality. Because I've been raised to be fiercely independent. You know, it's not that that's a problem, it's done and served me well, but actually, when you've been raised to be fiercely independent, it's very difficult sometimes to just trust and to allow God to come and meet with you in the midst of your circumstance. We all have this tendency to think we can fix everything. Have you noticed some things in life are just unfixable? I mean, you can do all that you know how to do and it still doesn't change. And it's often when we get to that place, I think that we come to the place of submission and surrender. And we even pray these prayers. These are great prayers. Help. God, help me. I don't know what to do with this situation. Whether it's your marriage or your children or your finances or your workplace. Help is a great prayer. Because that prayer is submitting to this fact. God, unless you do something here, I'm just working my tail off to no end. Come and do something, God. And you know, God, his intent is to come. And so he loves to come and he loves to do something. And he loves to show you that in spite of all that's going on in your life, he's with you. He's with you and he's for you. The Bible even says this about him. He even goes before you and prepares a table even in the midst of those who are your adversaries. That's the intentionality of God. And that's why Jesus died. Jesus didn't die just to give you relief from sin. Jesus died so that you could have a relationship with his heavenly father where he filled every part of your mind, every part of your soul, and every part of your body. You are and have always been created to live in that kind of relationship with God. And we can't be accidental about it. We have to become highly intentional. Here's a word you don't hear in church very often. It's the word called discipline. Discipline seems to be something as Christians we kind of struggle with. We, we think that, you know, if we just love God enough, everything will happen. But actually, we have to be disciplined. We have to be disciplined in a number of ways. And over the next couple of weeks, what I plan to do with you is to walk through some areas of discipline, some spiritual disciplines that will help you accommodate God's desire for you. And that is that your whole life would be filled to the fullness of his measure. Wouldn't that be good? Amen. And those disciplines, they don't feel good. What discipline does feel good? Apparently, if you go to the gym and you push weights, I say apparently because I've never been. Okay, eventually, people tell me this, you love it. My wife is a keen exerciser and she'd say, come and do this. And I'd say, you know, I'm sweating this. It's just horrible. It's not, it's not fit for anyone else to see, let alone myself. And um, I, I would never want to put anyone through that. I wouldn't embarrass my wife in the gym as people who are twice my age are running faster than me on the treadmill. And I don't bother with exercise. You can clearly see that my lack of discipline has some fruit. <laughs> it has some fruit. My lack of discipline is written all over my size waist. 
It's evident to see. But apparently, if you go to the gym and you exercise, I can't believe this. I find this very difficult to understand. Eventually, you love it. Is that true? Anybody, any gym goers here? Apparently, if you press past the pain barriers, if you press past them, you begin to feel good about yourself. I mean, I'm not looking around for anybody to give an example of that because I can't find anybody. But the, is, is it true, those of you who exercise, is it true that something called endorphins? See, you've all read the book like I have. Something called endorphins get released into your body and you get like this sense of life and a rush. Is that, is that true, Chanda? You, you would know this, wouldn't you? Okay, but is it true? Stand up, tell us it's true. I've never experienced it. I have never, I've never got past the stage of exercise. I'm even out of breath walking up the stairs now. And we have sought to get a stair lift for me. Thanks for your sympathy. <laughs> Any form of discipline. When I used to be a dancer and a singer, we'd spend hours rehearsing the same thing over and over again, going to a recording studio. You know, you sing your best, and the guy who's the producer goes, <laughs> let's take it back to that note there. You were slightly flat, and you think, oh, I'd kill you. <laughs> Apparently, discipline is good for us. You're not buying this, are you? I can tell. Apparently, you get past a certain place and you get to delight in it. People who exercise all the time say, oh, you love it. <laughs> Just come out running with me, pastor. You know, there was a guy when we were in Glasgow, he was super fit and his wife came along to the church. He wasn't a, a, you know, a follower of Jesus, but he kind of was a fan of Jesus. And he, and he used to get up at five in the morning and go running. And he said to me one day, would you like, because I was always moaning about being fat, I still do. He said, would you like to do something about that? And I said, I'd love to, I just need some help. He said, well, come running in the park with me. Now, have you ever been exercising with somebody who can run? And I'm like this. We did three mornings. I'm not exaggerating, this is a true story. And on the third morning when he left in his car, I went and got a McDonald's breakfast. In fact, if I'm honest, I had two, two, two egg McMuffins. And so when he called me, my sense of integrity, I had to say, look, I have to confess to you. His name was Colin. I have to confess to you, Colin, this is not working. You know, this is not working. He said, just keep at it. I said, no. Why? Why 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning? I've only come in from the club at 3.30. It was 4.30. But why, why at that unearthly, ungodly time of the day? I wasn't even sure Jesus was up at 5.30 in the morning. And you know, he was so fit. And so every time now after this, when I'm preaching, I'm talking about being overweight, he just goes like this in the, in the service. 
<laughs> but the McDonald's was lovely. Just to ease your mind, it was lovely. There's something about <laughs> exercise that makes you even more hungry, doesn't it? <laughs> it makes you even more hungry. <laughs> but in the, in the natural is a reflection of what happens in the spiritual. If we're not disciplined in our Christian journey, we will become unhealthy. We'll become spiritually flabby. We'll become casual. We'll become indifferent. And, and I don't believe for one second that when Jesus died, he thought that this would be some kind of casual meandering through life. I think he exemplified and showed us what intentionality and discipline looks like. Jesus lived a very disciplined life. And I think over these next few weeks, we're going to find this hard. I know I will. Because what I'm going to ask us to do is not just talk about these things. I want us to try these things. And I want us to try them because God's intention is that we live in fullness. And if God wants me to live in fullness, and it might take a little effort on my behalf in some ways or a little sacrifice in other ways, then I know that I'm making those sacrifices with the right reasons in mind because I would like that fullness to become a reality and not just something I sing about. So over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about these things. We're gonna talk about fasting. Now, have you ever wondered what fasting is all about? God's not trying to get you on a hunger strike to bless you. Here's the truth. God has already blessed you. But your appetite for him will determine how much of him you experience. God blesses hungry, spiritually hungry people. And there's nothing like a good old fast to get you in touch with the fact that you pay more attention to the physical part of you than you do to the spiritual part of you. And in fasting, here's all we're doing. We're just making space. We're just making room. We're saying, God, I'm gonna give up this particular meal or I'm gonna sacrifice this particular moment because I would love more of you. I've had more from the buffet and it hasn't satisfied. Only you, Jesus, can satisfy. And we make those decisions, and if we make them on a regular basis, we'll find that God's desire and God's intent for our lives, which is to fill it with his fullness, we have made space and we have made room for him to do what he wants to do. Fasting, apparently now, intermittent fasting, is very good for your body. Apparently, as you can see, I've not tried it yet, but I have read about it. It's very good for your body. And actually what the scientists are doing is they're catching up on something that actually God already had in his word whenever he suggests to us that we should fast on a regular basis. And here's what we do when we fast, we pray. Now what I'm talking about in those moments is not your long list of things you'd like God to buy for you or all of the breakthroughs that you think you need in the next four years of your life. Prayer is not about that. And that takes me to a second spiritual discipline that really we need help with. Because to be honest with you, church, if the world's transformation was based on your prayer life or mine alone, how much hope would the world have? Because we tend to pray on high days and holidays. We tend to pray when we have a problem. Have you noticed there's nothing like a problem to make you seek God more? I wonder what it would look like if our intentionality in prayer 
was so much more than just a rescue mission from our circumstances. And we said to God, I want to learn how to have the company of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to learn how to hear your voice. I want to learn how to experience your presence. I want to learn how to be filled to overflowing with your goodness. Jesus, teach me to pray. Jesus, show me how I can interact with you. And being with God in prayer is not a one-way conversation. Here's the thing. Whenever I begin to seek God, when I knock, the door opens. When I seek, I will find. And it's not my shopping list of all the things I want this side of heaven. My shopping list should be this. God, show me what joy looks like. My shopping list should be this. You are the Prince of Peace. Could you share your peace with me today? My shopping list should be like this. Lord, I pray that your fullness in all that you are and all that your nature provides will become apparent to me in my weakness. We're not asking for earthly things that fade. We're asking for eternal things that never fade. And we want to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven where rust and moth cannot decay. We want to store up for ourselves the joy and the fullness and the blessing of being in relationship with God. So we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at another subject I think is really important for the church. We're going to look at the Word of God. The Bible does not instruct us to read it. And if you think as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, that your, your Bible app and the tiny little Bible verse that you read on a daily basis is going to be sufficient for you in this hour, I want to tell you it's not. It's going to be a problem to you because the world we're living in, in case you haven't noticed, is spiraling out of control. And the only thing that the Bible says about all of that, it says heaven and earth will pass away but my word and my church will abide forever. Okay, and I can't do a quick glance at a text and think that that's me experiencing the fullness of the word of God. As good as it is to have those things so conveniently on our phones, they are insufficient tools in many ways because we were never asked by God to read a scripture. We were asked by God to meditate on his word day and night. We were asked by God to let his word fill us and flood every part of our souls. We were asked by God to allow his truth to become our truth. We were asked by God to allow our souls to be marinated in the reality of the truth of who Jesus is. And you see, this is so important to us because everywhere in this world, I hear this phrase, well, my truth is this and your truth is that and our truth is the other. Can I tell you? Jesus trumps all of that ideology and he says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, God is not offering us advice when we read his word. He's offering us direction and he's offering us revelation and he's offering us the the marination and the, the incarnation of that truth in the way I think and the way I live. And here's the truth, church. We cherry pick the Bible because we pick the bits out that we like. I've never heard anyone have a fridge magnet or a bumper sticker on their car that says, you know, those who don't call on the name of the Lord won't be saved. Everything that we take out of the Bible are all the promises and all the good things. But I want to suggest to you, when God speaks, it's going to be challenging. Because you and I already have a set of ideologies and thoughts that are contradicting the word of God. 
You believe all manner of things because society has done a number on you. And if the Bible isn't challenging the way you think and the way you act, you're not reading it properly. Because the word of God is challenging. Listen to what it says about itself. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God cuts into you before it reaches beyond you to cut into the world in which you live. It's a truth that's superior to every other truth. So I may come to the Bible with my presumptions about all manner of things, you know, and find out that the Bible is highly challenging to me because God says crazy things like this, love your enemies. It's a bit hard to love your enemies when you've been plotting their downfall for the last 20 years. In fact, one of the acid tests of spiritual maturity is that you can love your enemies. And what I'm talking about is not this, I love you. I love you in the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a deep, deep love and affection for those who have wronged you or indeed trampled all over your world. Why is this important to us? Because I believe what God is definitely wanting to do with us is to bring us to this place where this is our priority. That we are in so many ways in every part of our lives seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that as we do so, he will fulfill his plan for our lives, which is to bring all of that fullness to pass. Now, if you go to the Bible and you read the stories of the people who are your heroes, and I'm gonna shout out some of their names right now, you'll find that this reality, God with us lifestyle, the Emmanuel principle, is at work in all of these people's lives. He was with Abraham. Because God was with Abraham, he made Abraham a mighty nation. Amen? God took a nobody from nowhere and used him on the international stage of politics and provision. God, being with Abraham, changed everything about Abraham's life. The second person here is Moses. Do you remember Moses? Anybody remember Moses? You know, it's not your cat I'm talking about, by the way. I mean, the actual Moses. God took a man who was in the palace, but not of the palace, and he used an ordinary, broken individual to take a whole people, millions of Jews, out of persecution and into freedom. God, when God is with you, will cause there to be great exploits in your life. You will experience all manner of things that you couldn't attain yourself because the God with me lifestyle is a life where his abundance fulfills every aspect of my human experience. God can do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine according to his power that's him with me that is at work in me. Amen? Amen. What about Esther? The odds were against her. There was all kinds of segregation racially. She was a Jewish woman, and God took this beautiful woman and placed her in the court of the king, and she became the favorite, the favorite wife of the king, and as a result of that, she set Jewish people free from the persecution and difficulties that they were facing. We haven't got time to mention Amos or Micah or Haggai or Malachi, and what about Mary? What about Mary? Was God with Mary? God was with Mary, and because he was with Mary, this young woman whose life was so completely turned upside down and inside out by the purposes of the plan of God, God made her, to this day, one of the greatest examples of what it looks like to facilitate the purposes of God. Was God with Peter? Yes. 
Was he with James? Was he with John and Paul? Barnabas, or Barnabas as it's put up there. Priscilla, Aquila, Lydia, Timothy, Phoebe, Ephrodites. Of course he was. The heroes of the Bible are all just ordinary people who had this extraordinary experience of God. Now what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes, we're going to finish exactly at one, is this process. This is the process that we're talking about. Spiritual formation. As I said, we can't be accidental about it, we must be intentional about it. And these disciplines I'm talking to you about will help this process. Galatians 4 verse 19, Paul reveals the very essence of this to us in this scripture. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. What he's describing here, the word actually that's used in this particular passage is travail. In other words, I feel like I'm being used by God to bring something forth in your life. God has somehow commissioned me in prayer and intercession to affect you positively. That's what Paul is saying. Now he's not with the people, he's apart from the people, but he's speaking to them through a letter. And he's saying to them, my dear children for whom I am again, once again, this has been a repeated thing. I've been here before about you. This is the way I pray for you. This is how I feel about you. This is what God wants to do. I do this, pains of childbirth until what? Christ is formed in you. You see, the goal of God is that Christ would be formed in you. The work of the Spirit is that Christ would be formed in you. Our interactions with the Word of God have a goal that Christ would be formed in you. God has left us two wonderful ways in which this formation can take place. The first one is His Word. Now I want to say this to you about his word. His word is powerful. And it's his word. It's not the opinion of a man. It's not some religious protocol. God has spoken. And these wonderful people in the scriptures have captured what he's saying. Now here's the thing about his word. This is what he says about his word. That his word will not return to him void but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. What has he set it out to do? To form Christ in you. Every time you pick up the Bible and read it, that's God's passion and God's desire for your interaction with his word. That his word would cause the formation of the likeness of Christ to become real inside of you. Someone say amen. So now you know why every day on the app with Jesus isn't enough. What we need to do is allow that word to sink into, and to seep into every part of our being. The word was always intended not to be intellectualized. It was intended to be realized. We were given the word so that the word could be made flesh inside of us. So every time I come to the Bible, whether I want to or not, I'm coming with a set of glasses on me that need to be taken off me. I'm coming with my presumptions about God. I'm coming with my understanding of the human experience. I'm coming with my culture. I'm coming with my experience as a Christian. I have a set of lenses that cause me to want God to do things in certain ways. But actually, I have to take everything off. I've disrobed myself of all of those presumptions and I have to come with a pure heart and say, God, speak to me. God, you speak, tell me the truth. If nobody else tells me the truth, Jesus, you must tell me the truth. 
You know, I can't tell you the amount of times when I first became a Christian where I asked God a question and he answered it from the Bible. I'll never forget those days. Those days were profound for me. I knew nothing about this. Some would say you still don't. But back then, I didn't, I've never read the Bible in my life and someone said to me, God will answer all your questions and I had some big questions. Do you have some big questions? Big questions that pertain to my life, the way I lived, the things I wanted, all of that kind of stuff. And I remember one night coming to it and saying, God, is it okay for me to be gay? What do you think about that stuff? I'd lived a gay life for a long time. And as I opened the Bible, I'd never read the Bible before, didn't even know what would be in it. The first words my eyes read came from Galatians, Colossians chapter 6. It says this, do you not know that no homosexual, adulterer, or murderer led to the kingdom of God? And you know what? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. And you know, my life has changed. Why? Because the word became flesh. I had my presumptions, I had my ideas, I had my expectations, but when God speaks, his word will not return to him void, and to this day, I am a living testimony of how the word of God can transform a human soul. I take no credit for that, that's his word. So why would I come to it with presumptions? Why would I come to it and make God say what I want him to say? I need him to say what he needs to say. And he has got much to say to all of us. You see, some of the confusion in your life is because you just don't know the truth. And if you don't know the truth, you'll never be free. And I'm not talking about your idea of truth. I'm talking about his idea of truth. And his truth has the power above all things to set you free. We have not been left to our own devices to work this out. We have the word of God, everlasting to everlasting. May his word abide and remain amongst his people. We must honor it and respect it and follow it and observe it and become obedient to it if we are to experience the power of it. We also have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send you, I'll seek the Father and he will send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is your best friend. Let me tell you why. Because whether you know it or not, he's really for you. And whether you want his help or not, he keeps going at it. The Holy Spirit takes everything that Jesus has made available to you and he makes it apparent for you. The Holy Spirit opens your heart to truth. The Holy Spirit brings freedom and liberty and joy and peace and fullness. Now, if you don't know about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal to God in every way, but he has been sent by the Father through Jesus to you and to me that we would not be left to our own devices to try and work out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. How many of us need conviction of sin? You see, we're so dull in the way we've lived before we met Jesus that we're so accustomed to sinful thoughts and sinful acts. We think nothing of being selfish, nothing of being critical. You know, every time we walk into a room like this, let's not pretend this isn't here. We're judging one another by the clothes they wear or how we sit or how people do that. That's all our fallen nature. Our fallen nature had to survive. And to survive, you had to put others down so you could keep yourself up. But you are no longer in the fallen state. You are a new creature in Christ. The old has gone and God has given you a brand new life. You don't need to be critical or cynical. Those are things of the past. You need to be hopeful and joyous, your miseries. You need to be hopeful 
and joyous. You need to be full of life and full of faith and full of passion for God and his people. We don't have to live like people who live outside of Jesus. We have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. And the spirit of the living God will awaken every part of you to the reality of the nature and the person of God. You really need the help of the Holy Spirit. I really need the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's written very clearly for us. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But how do you live in relationship with the Holy Spirit? How can you let the Holy Spirit lead you? You are a stubborn people. I am a stubborn man. How do I let God have the last word in my life? How do I let God, how do I trust God to lead me into places where there is more life? I have to yield, I have to learn, I have to abide, I have to experience the kindness, the grace and the mercy of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For without it, I will just keep going with what I've been doing for most of my life. God never, ever asked you to do this on your own. He gave you his word which is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. We just don't know his word as well as we could know his word. And we're muddled in our thinking about some things. Let's let the word of God have its way in us, amen? And we need the power of the Holy Spirit, power to overcome temptation, power to love God and worship him, power to love others. You need power to love others, you know that, don't you? Some people are hard to love. Stop looking at me, you. I can see you looking at me. Some people are hard to love. But you know, God will give you a supernatural love for someone if you allow the Holy Spirit to have his work in you. God, God will take your hard heart. And trust me, it's hard. It's been hardened by life and experience. And he will give you a heart of flesh. You will cry over the things that he weeps over. You will rejoice in the things that he rejoices in. We have this great adventure. Let's not be accidental. Let's not be incidental in our approach. Let's be intentional to make more room and more space for the God whose sole desire is to make our lives his dwelling place. I said one o'clock, it's two minutes past. I did good today. Why don't you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. It's one minute past. I'll do a one minute prayer, is that okay? Have you got grace for one minute? Start the clock, Becca. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you are the breath of life. Everything about you radiates and resonates life and life in all its fullness. You're so alive, Jesus, death couldn't hold you down. You're so abundant, Jesus, all of the ambushes and tactics of the enemy to destroy you could not even touch you, for you rose victoriously on the third day. If anyone knows how to help us live this life, it's you, Jesus. And we know that you've given us the word, the word being the person of God, written in text for us to understand your nature and your character, God, truth that liberates and sets us free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And you've given us, Lord, the reward of the Holy Spirit. We didn't earn him. We couldn't gain him by spiritual activity. You simply gave as a gift to us the one who leads us to life. Holy Spirit, will you come?
Will you be, will you be in me and before me? Everything that I need you to be, God, and I don't even know what I need. You know what I need. Holy Spirit, will you awaken me to love Jesus more? Holy Spirit, will you help me to submit and surrender to truth? Holy Spirit, will you set me free from the things that want to make me captive, the way I think, sometimes the way I act, Lord God? Holy Spirit, will you bring the fullness of Jesus into my heart and into my life? I welcome you to do that, Holy Spirit. I ask you to do that, Holy Spirit. I believe it's the intent of God that you would help us with that. And Lord, at whatever level we find ourselves here this morning, we need you. We need you more than we realize, more than we recognize. Come, Lord Jesus, and have your way in us. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you, church.